Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Odell Beckham Jr.'s life changed forever when he made his famous touchdown catch against the Cowboys in 2014. Beckham finally had the moment he always knew he was capable of, and with that came the trappings of fame that only being a star athlete in New York can bring. But with that environment became a living, breathing testimony to the phrase, careful what you ask for, you just might get it. The years since that catch have featured some flashes of brilliance and dominance, as well as inconsistency and immaturity. After a season loss to injury and a break from the spotlight, can Beckham find that balance between love and football and the tangled web of attention that NFL superstardom brings? Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN senior writer Seth Wickersham as we talk about how the key to navigating the treacherous waters of the NFL might be remembering that it's just a kid's game in the end. Now we present, and now for his second act, by Seth Wickersham. And now for his next act, by Seth Wickersham. Nelson Stewart didn't ask why Odell Beckham Jr. needed film. He knew. Stewart, Odell's former coach at Isidore Newman School in New Orleans, was in his office this summer watching old plays. He's a former teammate of Peyton Manning's and a close friend of Eli's, both Newman alums as well, and he keeps a grass-stained Beckham number 3 Newman jersey in his office drawer as a reminder of his fortune to witness so much transcendent talent at such a small school. On this day, he filmed a few touchdowns off his computer screen and texted them to Odell, who replied, LOL, coach, I really need my high school highlights. It has been a difficult and uncertain offseason for Beckham, years in the making. Ever since the catch, the twisting, levitating, horizontal, three-finger-tipped, pass-interfered-with, impossible touchdown against the Cowboys in 2014, and the celebrity and scrutiny that attended it, he has lost some of his old joy and along with it, maybe his edge. After the fights and meltdowns, the boat trip, the dog pee celebration, and the sparring match with a kicking cage, not to mention an uptick in dropped passes, he broke his ankle in October and missed most of last season. Then, in March, he was sued by a man who claims he was beaten up at Beckham's L.A. residence in January in a countersuit Beckham would deny involvement. That same man later claimed he had evidence that Beckham tried to illegally pay a woman $1,000 for sex, which Beckham denied as well. Also in March, a video of Beckham in bed in Paris with an aspiring model and what appeared to be illegal drugs went viral. Later in the month, the Giants, wary of meeting his desire to be the NFL's highest paid player, listened to trade offers, and owner John Mara publicly implied that it was time for the 25-year-old wideout to grow up. Coach Stewart has known Odell since he was nine, and like most in Beckham's inner circle, he knows the catch spawned a mania that neither the receiver nor his crew nor the Giants knew how to handle. To him, Odell is not OBJ, but three. Where others see the most viral player of the viral era, Stewart sees an old soul who at heart is pretty nostalgic. So he knew what Odell needed when he asked to see old plays, and he delivered the clips. A fade for a touchdown against De La Salle. A stop-and-go for six in a scrimmage against East Jefferson. A screen that Odell took the distance against Bogalusa. And, finally, a leaping one-handed snare against East Feliciana. His genius in its infancy. 
Thank you, Beckham texted after looking back through 25 minutes of his old self, a reminder of what beauty looked like before it was broken. Odell is dragging. He rolls out of a golf cart on a June day, the last to take the field at his own youth football camp on a high school field in New Jersey. Word is he was out late last night, but who knows? He yawns and removes the white hoodie surrounding his head, his standard TMZ disguise, and rubs his hair, curls spilling over, the hair of many kids at his camp, a factory line of OBJs. The kids are vibrating, and the camp's MC is screaming into a microphone, but Odell, usually bouncing as if set to his own soundtrack, isn't quite ready for his own arrival. I don't have as much energy as him, Odell says, alluding to the host. Let's just have fun. Everybody on your feet, the host says. Coach Beckham likes straight lines. At the moment, Coach Beckham might like more sleep. He leads everyone in jumping jacks, barely lifting his arms above his shoulders, and then slowly changes shirts, revealing a body with every muscle curved and pronounced, blanketed in tattoos to the jaw, an extravagant expression of self, not just the body of an athlete, but the body of a star, designed to be unveiled and studied and celebrated. For the past year, NFL executives have privately admired the way the NBA promotes its players. If football wants a face to rally around, it could be Beckham, with his singular aerial artistry, historic productivity, and signature dance moves. But there's a gulf between his potential and the reality of his career. And even after the Giants signed him to a five-year, $95 million deal, a record for wide receivers, trust will remain an issue. Nobody knows whether he will become an immortal player or merely one remembered for an immortal moment in 2014. The stakes are high. In the spring, when the Giants were listening to trade inquiries, the Rams and 49ers were the two teams reported to be interested, but there were others. One curious club hired a private investigator to track Beckham. The Paris video had introduced drug use rumors that teams wanted to run down, even if recreational drug use falls below his surgically repaired ankle on most teams' list of concerns. The P.I.'s report set off no alarms, but despite the Giants being 50-50 on their willingness to trade him, according to a league source with knowledge of the situation, no team would meet their asking price, which was believed to be a pair of first-rounders. So here's Odell at his camp, learning that holding on to his trademark joy can be a grind. He was supposed to meet with reporters today, but he canceled. He limited most of his public comments this offseason to benign Instagram posts. He declined a formal interview for this story, but didn't mind my observing him up close for hours on both coasts. He said in the past that his words don't mean much. Still, his mother, Heather Van Norman, is with him at his camp. She's rarely far away from her son, and she's chatting up reporters, even those who have been critical. A few reporters sense a warm front, an attempted reset. Beckham signs a stack of photos and jerseys and helmets, his hands, so long and soft that his catches sound gentler than those of other receivers, dwarfing a sharpie. A little later, he stands alone and jogs out to make the rounds of the campers, pushing off his left ankle, which has a red scar running so high, it looks like another tattoo. Do one-handed, a kid says. I can't catch one-handed, Odell jokes. The kids are running routes and dropping passes. Odell is throwing. 
He played some quarterback at Newman, the Tebow jump throw, his signature move. They're dropping passes because they're trying to catch them like Odell. He wants to teach them how to properly catch a football, with two hands forming a diamond. They want him to teach them how to OBJ it. He can't. His gifts and drive are not transferable. But the kids are having fun as the ball bounces off their single, outstretched hand, and he isn't going to ruin it. Finally, a kid snares the ball with his right palm. Odell wags his finger, time to the beat of the music blasting, and curls his face, at once handsome and vulnerable and volatile, into an approving grin. Beckham's catch, the catch, was a long four years ago, and it marked both the beginning and the end of something. He told his mother at age four that he would become a professional athlete, and although he was blessed to be both born with and surrounded by elite athleticism, she was a six-time All-American in track, his father Odell Sr. was a running back at LSU, his stepfather Derek Mills was an Olympic gold medalist in the 4x400 relay, he authored his dreams the old-fashioned way, by practicing. In high school, he used rubber bands to build finger strength, training a lone hand to be the only one necessary. He broke the rules for catching a football by catching it like a baseball, his palm up when it was supposed to be down, and down when it was supposed to be up. He raised the ante on himself, both revolutionizing and evolving his craft, first at Newman, then at LSU, and then in the NFL, catching one-handed while he did handstands, competing against conventionalism as much as any defense. He imagined his own brand of immortality, and in the split seconds in which he was the only person in the world reacting the way he reacted to an arriving spiral, he could feel it. Odell Sr. had told his son, you got to do something strange for a piece of change. Coming up, Odell wanted to be exotic. He wanted the extraordinary to seem routine. And on November 23, 2014, when Eli Manning threw deep down the right sideline and Dallas defensive tackle Henry Melton turned to Giants offensive tackle Jeff Schwartz and said, Oh, yes, that's what it was. An impossible moment, willed inevitable. The catch catapulted Odell into fast friendships with LeBron and Jordan and Drake. It also changed football, injecting an original beauty into a familiar violence, drawing in millennials to an aging fan base, showcasing a non-quarterback who could produce the spectacular. People started showing up to watch Beckham in warm-ups, as if he were Mark McGuire taking batting practice in 98. Crowds waited for him outside of the team bus and chased him across hotel lobbies. He had just turned 22 and found himself both on the sports page and the gossip page, and the intensity with which people followed him, the extent to which they craved some next bit of magic from him, was often overwhelming. It quickly became uncontrollable. He'd sometimes escape on off days to L.A., where he could be one celebrity among hundreds. The Giants worried that he might be susceptible to peer pressure, and that he wasn't taking care of his body and he later confessed that he didn't always do that, even as he led the league in receiving yards per game and scored 12 touchdowns and was named Offensive Rookie of the Year. Odell became a one-name celebrity, Schwartz says. That's the leap he made overnight. In that 2015 offseason, Odell became the Madden cover boy and posed nude for the body issue of ESPN the magazine. But he wasn't quite right. 
One March evening, he vented cryptically for three hours on Twitter. At the end of the day, I will never let another human being steal my joy in life. Finding me, until then the rest is almost irrelevant. He looked exhausted and detached and disinterested at an autograph signing event that summer on Long Island, never removing his backpack. And by the time he arrived at training camp for his second season, he told the New York Post that the football field had become an escape, a getaway. Even that feeling didn't last long. Ben McAdoo, the Giants' offensive coordinator at the time, and later the team's head coach, told others in the organization, the catch was the worst thing that happened to him. Beckham didn't slack off, despite his comfort in celebrity circles. He pushed so hard in practice during the 2015 season that coaches described him as a team leader. He gave teammates Blue Beats headphones for Christmas and often held the phone himself to ensure that fans' selfies came out just right. Coaches sometimes caught him twirling his hair and staring off in the distance during meetings, but he recalled the material perfectly when quizzed and did killer impressions of members of the staff, particularly offensive assistant coach Ryan Roder's blitz speeches. He worked hard to prove that being Odell, being OBJ, came easily. But something was off. That much people around him knew. He committed the cardinal sin of modern fame. He replied to tweets and tried not to take personal insults about his style and play personally. But there's a huge difference between the joy of being respected for your craft and being pawed at for it. And Beckham struggled to live in the space between. During downtime at the Giants' facility, he'd brewed just enough to let on that something was bothering him. But he also seemed tired of being asked how he was doing. He groused in 2015 about the constant media attention, but would sometimes FaceTime reporters just to talk. Anyone with a phone could observe his life, but nobody knew what it was like to live it. I'm the only one who goes through what I go through, he later said. Beckham's talent and temperament had made him seem vulnerable, and in the NFL, vulnerability always catches up to talent. Going back to high school, he's had a ritual of transforming himself before games. When he'd put on his helmet, Stewart says, he was a completely different kid. The routine starts slow, with his headphones on, and as Giants receiver Sterling Shepard says, he amps his way up. He bobs his head and wags his finger, and by the time he takes the field for warm-ups, sometimes pretending to be the Joker, he's preening as much as he's dancing, psyching himself into a state of grace when most players psych themselves into a state of rage. It made him ripe for blowback in 2015, aimed at the heart of what he believed in and how he saw himself. Defensive coordinators and players had spent the previous offseason considering ways to defend him, and a clue arrived late in his rookie year when the Rams hit him hard and out of bounds, igniting an all-out brawl. It was an answer as old as football. Get inside his head and beat the living hell out of him. The most vile words in the English language are routinely thrown around on NFL football fields. Players will deface any pronoun and verb, conjure any image, to get you to come undone. If it works, it's a lot more efficient than a double team. Defenses hit Beckham hard and often hit him late. He got trash-talked and talked trash back. He got his ass kicked and kicked some ass. But it took a toll. During an October 2015 matchup against Buffalo, Beckham punched Bill's safety Duke Williams in the head after Williams hit him high and clean. He believed officials weren't protecting him, 
but he declined a chance to speak to the league about it. Giants coaches sensed the pressure was building in him, even as he was nearly unstoppable on the field, gaining at least 100 yards in seven of nine games in one stretch during the 2015 season. It came to a head on December 20th against the Panthers and cornerback Josh Norman. The two superstars had tested each other in warm-ups. The Panthers' secondary brought out a baseball bat, a ritual to honor an injured teammate, and a warning that they were coming out swinging. And Odell later told people he saw it as a threat that crossed the line. Meanwhile, he danced balletically across the field, literally tiptoeing and spinning in defiance. Norman later said the refs were egging them on, saying, I have a first-row seat to this. Beckham dropped an easy touchdown early. He was mad at himself, and that was all the opening Norman needed. Throughout the game, he hit Beckham hard, but mostly legally, talking the entire time. Beckham swung at Norman's helmet, put his fingers inside his face mask and mouth, grabbed his leg, launched into Norman helmet first, and eventually drew three personal fouls. Full-blown madness, remembers former Panthers safety Roman Harper. An NFL executive called the officials in the middle of the game and told them to eject the two stars if it kept going. Beckham, not Norman, was served with a one-game suspension and later vented to Hall of Famer Michael Irvin, who told the New York Daily News that Beckham was a target of anti-gay insults, which the Panthers denied. For some reason, everybody goes after him with gay slurs, Irvin said. He's a different kind of dude. I told him he can't let stuff that people say get to you. Irvin's comments set off a round of columns, with Outsports.com writing extensively about the topic. All the while, Beckham had been rumored to be dating model and actress Amber Rose, one of the first of many celebrities to whom he'd be linked. Giants coaches told him to be himself, to dance and attempt catches that nobody else would dare, but not to lose his head. Instead, he muted himself. In the final game of the season against the Eagles, he caught only five passes for 54 yards. The next year, the Giants promoted McAdoo to head coach, and he tried to give Beckham a support system, hiring former LSU assistant and Beckham confidant Adam Henry to coach wide receivers. It didn't completely work. One day in the offseason, players and staffers saw Beckham sobbing hysterically in the facility. They asked what was wrong. Odell's dog had died. Nobody knew what to do with someone who felt things so deeply and brought it all to an NFL workplace. Not exactly a temple of sensitivity. The next time Beckham faced Norman, who had by then joined the Redskins, he exploded after Manning threw a fourth-quarter interception, swung his helmet into the kicker's net, yelled at Henry, and appeared to cry on the sideline during the game's final minutes, gifting social media a video nearly as viral as the catch. Again, the Giants' staff implored him to balance his famous joy and his infamous explosions. Again, Beckham responded with a flat performance the next week, catching three passes for 23 yards, brushing an official, and drawing an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty against the Vikings. It's not a coincidence, a Giants coach at the time says now, that Odell would have a bad game after being told to tone it down. He needs the alter ego. Beckham told coaches in private that he was having trouble sleeping, and he told reporters in public that football was no longer fun. The Giants hired a psychologist named Jonathan Fader to be a resource for the players, especially Beckham. Fader worked hard, but the players assumed he reported everything back to the coaches, 
even when he didn't. He could only get so far. Beckham dropped nine passes in 2016, including the postseason, third most in the NFL. He took part in a quick boat getaway in Miami six days before the Giants' playoff matchup against the Packers, setting off a week of headlines and drama. You can get away with a lot in New York, if you deliver when it counts. He didn't. He caught four passes, dropped two, and reportedly punched a hole in the wall after the game. A few days before training camp in 2017, he sat for a three-minute YouTube video with Uninterrupted titled, Odell Fears Falling Out of Love with Football, in which he both declared his desire to be the NFL's highest-paid player and said the game was starting to slowly become my job, not just what I love to do anymore. Beckham's 2017 season lasted five weeks before Chargers cornerback Casey Hayward landed on his ankle, fracturing it. At the time, he was leading the NFL with five drops. After a 3-13 and season, Pat Shermer was hired as the Giants' new coach. Then came the Paris video in March. The Giants privately questioned Beckham's reliability and maturity, and an NFL Network report surfaced that he would refuse to step onto a football field without a new contract. It was about to get ugly. He wanted some of the Hollywood life with Drake, a life he feels is harmless and earned, and he also wanted to be the greatest and best-paid player in football. But the NFL will always make you choose. So after years of proving to be the exception to almost every rule, Odell did what all players eventually do. He got in line. He's waking up. Odell has broken a sweat at his camp and is crouched a few yards from a line of kids. They run to him and try to juke him as he tries to gently swat balls out of their hands. He smiles at each kid who reaches the front of the line. You look like Steph Curry, Odell says to one. Thank you, the kid says back. The kid makes a cut that catches him by surprise. Good move, Odell says. A little girl spins by him. Too fast, he says, shaking his head. The day allows Odell to remember being a kid himself, when he attended Michael Vick's camp and saw a vision of what he might become, an unprecedented force. You only get to be precocious once, only once feel the rush of others spotting something special in you. Eli Manning likes to tell a story from about a decade ago when he and Peyton were in New Orleans and asked Stewart if he had any high school receivers who could run routes for them. Odell did, and though his talent was raw, it was also unmistakable. Peyton whispered to Stewart, That kid's a little different. And being Peyton, he rigged the reps so he always threw to Odell and stuck Eli with lesser receivers. He knew what he was looking at. At LSU, Beckham once told coaches he feared the day when football would become a job. The NFL delivered that day, as it always does. The question now is whether Beckham has it in him to grind until his spark is rekindled and then do it again when the spark goes out again, as it will, realizing that holding on to it is a job in itself. In April, his mom Heather called an old friend, Carol Smith-Gilbert, the head track coach at USC, and asked if she'd work with her son. Smith-Gilbert and Trojans sprinting coach Quincy Watts ran Beckham through a series of tests, mostly different kinds of jumps. The early results were troubling. His power in the first 10 yards wasn't as good as his power after 10 yards, Smith Gilbert says. They formulated a plan, 
filled with proprietary tests and data, and met three times a week for eight weeks. Beckham always showed up in a good mood, cheering us up, Smith Gilbert says, except on Wednesdays. Wednesdays were hill days in Kenneth Hahn State Recreation Area. To be at the park and stretched and ready to go by 6 a.m., he had to wake up around 4.45. We knew he'd be grouchy, Smith Gilbert says. Beckham had to sprint up hills, which were 75 meters long and inclined at about 65 degrees. Over six weeks, he had to complete 18 of them, three each Wednesday with a two-minute rest in between. On Beckham's first hill, he failed to run full speed. Don't count, Watts said. Beckham glared at him and glared. Watts wondered what would happen. Would Odell quit? Would he quit without officially quitting, giving a good effort but not his best on the next try? Seconds passed. Odell relinquished his glare, walked down the hill, and sprinted up. He eventually found a way to do what he used to do, make the mundane fun. Over the next few weeks, it became a standing joke that he would accuse Watts of miscounting the number of hills he'd run. That's nine, Watts told him at one point. No, that's ten, he replied. After the hills, Beckham ran routes at USC or at UCLA. Every day, crowds formed, peeking over the fence, wondering whether it was really OBJ. A few videos of him running not home-run deep routes with one hand, but lunch-pail short ones with two hands, went viral in football circles. When Stewart watched them, it reminded him of the work that produced the high school touchdowns Odell now wanted— needed to revisit. Pat Shermer sits in his office on a June afternoon, having just presided over his first minicamp. The burden of a coach's job is usually evident in his face, but in Shermer's office, the burden literally hangs over his head. The only pictures on the wall behind him are team photos of the eight Giants championship squads, four from the pre-Super Bowl era and four since. The expectations are clear. Shermer is pleased that Beckham wasn't traded, Odell was part of this job's appeal, and that the Giants decided to build around Eli Manning, at least for the next year or two. Earlier in the day at practice, Odell looked like the old Odell. He seemed to explode off the line. He caught balls with two hands and with one hand. He danced between reps to the music piped into practice, especially to What is Love, and he would tell reporters two months later, I'm back in love with what I've always loved. Shermer knows that working with Beckham is both complex and simple. Trust will always supersede instruction. He reached out to him shortly after he got the job in January and tried to meet with him as much as possible. Beckham was in and out of the building, thanks to rehab, his contract uncertainty, and his desire to be in L.A. A mega contract usually amplifies a player's habits rather than changing them. Nobody knows what habits Beckham will ultimately amplify. Shermer leans back in his chair, and his eyes dart out his window overlooking the practice fields. Hold on a second, he says, and motions me to look. He's out there working with Eli, Shermer says, running full-speed routes for whatever it's worth. Shermer has the championship expectations above him and two of the most important players in realizing them below him, working long after the rest of the players have called it a day. Eli will always play bland for the media, but he's an astute observer of talent and situation. In a weird way, 
He knows more about the next phase of Beckham's life than Beckham does. He's seen how fame rises and falls. A two-time Super Bowl MVP from an iconic football family who briefly lost game snaps last year to Geno Smith and practice reps to a rookie third-rounder named Davis Webb. Eli knows Beckham's life is unique and isn't because he was on the throwing end of the David Tyree catch, the greatest catch in NFL history before Beckham's. So it goes. There will always be a next moment, and there will always be a new guy. But there's also a reward if you can survive the first few years of adulation and money and pain. You accumulate scars, and the joy isn't as much innocent as it is earned, and you arrive at answers to questions you didn't even know to ask. The moving between worlds, from football to Hollywood or Madison Avenue, becomes easier. You get better with age in this league, Manning says. In his office, Shermer watches as Beckham runs a route I've never seen before, with more shifts and changes than seems logical before he explodes deep, a winding country road merging into a freeway. Beckham can evoke many emotions. He can make you love him, and he can make you love him a little less. But this much is clear. He can make you believe. I ask Shermer what route Beckham just ran. I don't know, he says. He looks me in the eye, and the edges of his mouth curve just enough to betray his practiced caution as he says, Doesn't matter, does it? Camp is almost over. But there's a party waiting to explode. As Blockboy JB's shoot plays, Odell gathers hundreds of kids in a circle. The children have been jumpy and bouncy because after Odell came to life today, he became jumpy and bouncy. And like most people around him, when Odell dances, they dance. Friends sometimes greet him by dancing, a shared language. In July, he coached a celebrity soccer game in Hollywood, and the toddler daughter of one of his players, musician Tiana Taylor, started crying and pointing to the field. She wanted her mommy. Beckham picked her up her lip quivering, tears on her face, and held her close and started dancing. Soon, she rested her head on his chest and put her arm around his shoulder. She was happy. As any parent knows, he had pulled off a feat no less impressive than a one-handed catch. Now Odell leans in toward the kids at camp and on cue sings along with the song. Shh! Don't make a sound. The circle explodes, the kids are dancing, and he is in the middle. No other current NFL player could deliver this moment. When he later tells the campers that, I'm a kid at heart, so I have the most fun when I'm out here with y'all, it's hard to believe he doesn't mean it. After a while, he slides out of the circle. The MC says he has another commitment to tend to, the life of a pro athlete, the world these kids want. The music keeps playing as Odell climbs into a golf cart. He watches the kids with dyed blonde hair dance and practice one-handed catches, his creation at work, as if hoping it all could last a little longer. Joining me now is ESPN senior writer Seth Wickersham. Seth, thank you for making the time today. Good to see you, man. It was, uh, this was Odell Beckham Jr., always a fascinating topic, a great story, and what I find from your reporting and what I found, like what has happened recently with this contract, how do you think it is? The first question I want to ask is how do you think it is the giants went from trade talks to making this guy the highest paid receiver in the league? Yeah, it's an excellent question. 
Um, I think there's a, you know, that, that answer is complicated and layered. And so I'll do my best to to answer it. (laughs) Okay. I think that first of all, you know, I think that they would have traded him for an astronomical price. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they were shopping him, but they were taking calls. Once they didn't trade him, you knew it was going to get done because they were not going to franchise him. Mm-hmm. It's just too much money. And so I think that the only question was whether it got done before this season or after this season. And the fact that it got done before I found interesting. Number one, I think that it speaks to the fact that Odell, at least for a limited period of time, has been able to get in line and sort of be a company man, mm-hmm. um, tone himself down. And then I think the other half of it is that I think they got him for cheap. Yeah. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. I think that there's a lot of people who are very smart salary cap experts around the NFL who work for opposing teams who thought that this deal did not reflect the deal that they thought he was going to get. And so it's a lot of money, but it was not a transcendent deal, the type that Odell had been talking about basically for the past year. Mm-hmm. When – you open this. Uh, you open your piece about talking about his high school coach and his high school coach Nelson Stewart, who mentions how he has like this passion for nostalgia. And it seems that when someone who like Odell Beckham Jr. wear the mental game and all that's like obviously he wears his emotions on his sleeve. And it seems that he's someone that the reason why I wanted to see those clips you speak about at the beginning from his high school days. It's, it seems that many ways, like there are things that are so out of his, his control right now. And that was what he's witnessing is like him, just the essence of what he can do. It was pure control. This is just a, here's some footage of just another great high school receiver full of potential and charisma, but just that potential energy where his life right now is just kinetic energy. And that's where an NFL career in progress and the critics came out. Like, is this sort of like what he goes back to that you found to sort of ground himself again? I was shocked that he wanted his high school highlights, not only wanted, but needed them. That was the word that he used. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked because he's 25 years old. It's a little bit of like that Springsteen line, you know, maybe we ain't that young anymore. And he wrote that when he was 24. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I was just surprised because you know, I'd been around Tom Brady a lot during, you know, when his that that time period of his career where his career just shot mm-hmm. up, and he became an international celebrity basically in a period of years. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the last thing that guy is is nostalgic. Mm-hmm. I mean, he never would have been. Hey, coach, send me my old high school highlights. I mean. Life was just an open road at that point, and he didn't even right. know exactly where it was going, but it was going fast. The fact that Odell Beckham at age 25 years old is not only nostalgic, not only a, an old soul, but needed to sort of be reminded of what he used to be and what he's capable of, I found really fascinating. And you had a, you have a great line in the piece. It it seems to sum up just the, the major question through all of, like, forget about all the specific incidents with, uh, whether it be, you know, his celebrations or his highlights or whatever, where you have it, where you say nobody knows whether he'll become an immortal player or merely one remembered for an immortal moment back in 2014. Is this something that you find weighs on him or his camp? Well, I think that, you know, look, the guy has amazing potential, 
but there's a gap between his potential and the reality of his career. And so, you know, he's had a lot of great catches in his career, but he's famous for one. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we look back at careers, when we look back at Dan Marino's career, we really only remember three or four plays. You know, right. you always have those those hallmark moments. And, you know, he is he was leading the NFL in drops last year when he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um which I think to the coaches signaled a major lack of concentration. And so I think that there is a lot for him to do. And I think that that is the question that's facing him because there's no question that he'll have great numbers in his career. But the question Mm -hmm. will be is if he had as good a numbers as he should have. Right. And, um, and if not, you know, he's going to be remembered for that amazing play that changed his life and changed the NFL and if so, you know, we're looking at a guy who's going to be giving a Hall of Fame speech someday. Or then... With with matching hair, with, with hair that matches the gold jacket. <laughs> right. But then there's, yeah, there's the players, like in all sports, that get sort of criticized where, you know, he has 135 yards in games where you won or lost by more than 14 points. But then you've got four drops in the games that was like a one-possession game. And that seems to be... People are quick to always like note those kind of things. And, but also, but going on to just from that, but his, um, and his celebrations, and you talk about how he grew up in an athlete powered house, like with his mother, his father, his stepfather. But it also seems you would think that someone like that would have been able to learn much earlier that this is a business and there is discipline to keep it and maturity to keep everything you need to keep it going as long as possible. But, I mean, that's obviously the key to long-term success in this arena, yet it seems that that's the one thing he didn't learn growing up. And with his mother, as you mentioned, uh, Heather Van Norman, always around, how do you think it is that she wasn't able to kind of rein him in more? I think it's one of those things you have to learn for yourself. You know, I think that people can tell you all the time that this is a business, that people don't have your best interest, that you need to look out for yourself, but everybody ends up learning it the hard way. And Mm -hmm. that's the way that he learned it. And I think that, so there's not only that process. And then I think the other part of it is that he is an incredibly emotionally visceral human. Mm -hmm. You know, he clearly could not handle people getting into his head. Mm -hmm. And for a period of time, I mean, he would completely come undone. And it was a spectacle that was as great as his, one, you know, his famous catch. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I have that, that moment in the story where he was at the uh, Giants facility in the offseason and some of the players noticed that he was crying mm-hmm. and they were wondering why he was crying. He was crying because his dog had died. Right. And it was interesting for them because they were sort of like, okay, like it's not like they uh, don't care that his dog died, but that's just not what you see at, NFL facilities. Right. They're not exactly a, a temple of sensitivity. <laughs> and so I think that those lessons where you learn it's a business are lessons that come hard for everybody, but they came harder for Odell. And there in you know, you talk about what happened with, with Josh Norman and getting in his head. Is is there more of a concern that that could keep happening or is, or to your point about leading the league in drops, are they more concerned that that are, that would happen or his performance? Yeah. He doesn't seem to have had those epic flip outs like he did for a stretch there. I think that, you know, he's had 
controversial touchdown celebrations, but he hasn't had those, you know, multiple personal fouls and just completely right. coming undone and unglued. But, you know, the drops are a thing. There's no, you know, if you're a wide receiver, at best, you know, you might average six touches a game. And mm-hmm. if you're dropping some of those precious touches, well, then what, what's the point in paying you that much of the salary cap? If you're only going to touch the ball six times a game and you're not even reliable with those six times. Mm-hmm. And, but going back to his work ethic, it seems that, and we were saying, I was saying originally about the control and about who he was. There's the story also tell about the strenuous workouts that he did with his mother's old connections at USC. And, and he needed, he knew what he needed to do there. And, but he was in total control for the success where those, those hill workouts, unglamorous, rigorous. And they got, I got, no, you didn't go as hard as you can. That wasn't the count and didn't count. So now he does it again. But it seems that was Odell Beckham Jr. working out. But then there was no, no TMZ, no social media. But then when he was, you talk like a couple lines later when he was running those routes and people were like peeking in, it seems like that was the OBJ workout where suddenly it's almost like he's two people. He's the one you think he needs to be. And then there's the one he can be. Mm-hmm. There's no question. And um, I think generally speaking, one of the things he tried hardest to do, you know, fame clearly had a huge impact on his life mm-hmm. and it changed him. And, but one of the, it, he didn't fall into a, into simple categories in terms of how fame affected him though, because he actually ended up working harder, mm-hmm. even though he dropped more passes, even though like he wasn't as mentally tough as he needed to be. And Josh Norman got inside his head. He worked harder. And I think he was so hell bent on proving that being OBJ didn't affect being Odell Beckham jr. Mm-hmm that that itself became a pressure. And um, so, you know, I think that his work ethic is something that he's always had, but at the end of the day, here he was recovering from an ankle injury, um, no long-term security from the Giants. And, you know, that first hill, they were 75 meters long and they were 65-degree incline. <laughs> he had to sprint them. No thanks. And, I mean, that's 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 a long time. And, you know, the coach determined that the very first one determined that um, Odell didn't sprint. Mm-hmm. And it was a pivotal moment because he, the coach was wondering, like, look, I've never had an athlete like Odell here. What's he going to do? How is he going to respond to that reaction? Right. And he responded by not only doing them, doing them well, but trying to figure out a way to add a little bit of levity to them by accusing his coach of miscounting his totals. <laughs> But it also, but yeah, but that's to my point. It seems like I imagine if that was open and people were watching and filming it, like he'd be like, oh, I can't let my public think that this mm-hmm. guy has one on me. So if they were all watching, like it seems that that version of him would be like, I'm done and would walk away. But going back to what you said about how beat him fame, you know, the, the, the trips, like the photos in Paris that we talked, that people have talked about friendship with Drake. It seems that, um, and you also, another great line about this one where, you know, he seems to be. In 2018, you can't be an athlete like maybe you were like in the heydays of the 60s and 70s and part of the 80s where you could skirt around the world of sex, drugs, and rock and roll and be an athlete and kind of be part of it. You can't do that anymore because the line that you had is like in the end, the NFL always makes you choose. And it seems that part of Beckham's fame is that he doesn't want to have to choose. Like he wants to be in both of those worlds and what's the problem. But is that sort of 
as he is, as you said originally, like he is sort of getting in line and being kind of a company man. Is he sort of pushing that away and like, I don't care if I'm not in LA anymore and I don't really care if I'm not part of that world anymore. This is what I want. I don't know. And that's going to be one of the most interesting things as it goes forward because we've all been around professional sports long enough to know that a new contract amplifies habits. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change them. You don't change (laughs) because you got this huge deal. Right. You know, the, the, the traits that you had that you carried into it are the ones that tend to get amplified. And, um, so which traits of Odell's are going to be amplified? Is it mm-hmm. going to be the side that sort of feels like he dabbles in this world that he feels is harmless, but you know, the giants just invested all this money in a player. They're not exactly, you know, they're an old school franchise. Yeah. And you know, are we going to see, you know, they don't, they don't like it when he pops up with these viral videos of, you know, there's the TMZ one from the other night where he was out with a guy and one of the guys got beat up and, right. You know, clearly this one from Paris irritated them. (laughs) And so I don't know going forward. I mean, he loves Los Angeles. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. I I just, I don't know which of those habits are going to end up being amplified. And when you talked about um, the time where you were observing him, I keep saying observing him because as you read your piece, you'll know that he said to you, like, you can hang out with me all you want, but I'm really actually not going to formally talk to you. And, um, where even Beckham, like even when he's at the camp, even he seems to know, cause he learned like, you know, probably back in high school, like you need to catch that pass with your fingers like a diamond. And that's how, it, this is how it's done. And that's how you could be like me. But then he doesn't necessarily stop them as they're doing this because everybody who's at the old Beckham junior camp is there to like, no, 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 you got to throw it over my head so I can jump backwards, catch it with three fingers, pull it in. And, you know, the other thing that I always love about that catch that people forget, they didn't win that game. <laughs> they lost that game to, to the Cowboys. But um, it seems that he doesn't discourage them in the end. So it seems that he still he still sort of wants to be the kid at heart, and he's never going to discourage them from, like, sort of constantly paying homage to him and not really homage to football. Yeah, he's the most influential athlete that I have been around maybe since Peyton Manning and his audible hand signal heyday. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, clearly that had a huge impact. And, you know, pretty soon you see little high school quarterbacks moving their hands around and right. folding them into origami to be just like Peyton Manning. Yelling Omaha. Annoying the heck out of everybody watching football. But Odell, I mean, he's famous for a lot of things. He's famous for how he plays. He's famous for how he looks. He's famous for how he dresses. He's famous for how he dances. Mm-hmm. And then he's also kind of famous for being famous. <laughs> yeah. But he um, he has a, a quality that is rare. You know, when he dances, people around him dance. Like I was with him in L.A. when he was dancing. I was with him at that camp in New Jersey when he was dancing. Mm-hmm. Grown men and women dance around him. <laughs> they just do. I don't know how to explain it. It's like he's his own sort of nightclub and carnival and Slash Pied Piper. Exactly. And, you know, he, I, I, men greet him dancing, even if he's not really dancing. Yeah. And even if there's not music playing, he's often kind of just dancing, like, <laughs> you know, moving around like he is dancing. And it's a really, it's a really fascinating thing to watch just to, as a sociological ex- experiment right. because it just happens. Like, 
people, whether they're behind a rope or right near him, will just start dancing if he's dancing. Which is fascinating. To your point, it is fascinating because there's a really fine line between being a trend-setting influencer and just being a weird guy dancing by yourself. He's never dancing alone. That is one thing. <laughs> He's never dancing. He's alone. never dancing with his with himself, as they say. So, uh, Coach McAdoo, as you mentioned, in your piece at one point says the catch is probably the worst thing that happened to him. Uh, is there anyone in Beckham's camp, including Beckham himself, that sort of like whether it's be like his his you know his part of his entourage and his mother and his father stuff? Are any of those people agree with that? I don't know if they have the perspective to agree with it. I, my sense would be that Beckham sees it as something that obviously launched his career and gave him all kinds of opportunities and changed mm-hmm. his life and also brought things with him that he could do without. Mm-hmm. Um, from the coach's perspective, and McAdoo wasn't the only one who felt that, I think they just felt like it made him a target. Right. And he wasn't ready to be a target. He became a target on the field because opposing teams were like, here is this beautiful man mm-hmm. who – is most comfortable in the air, in the ether, which is very rare for football players. And, you know, he had this spectacular rookie year where he was able to make catches and redefine what a catch could be. And they're like, we're going to break this guy. Yeah. And he wasn't ready for that. And the worse he tried to prepare for himself and the tougher he tried to be, it was like the worse it all became for him. The harder he tried to show that it wasn't affecting him, the worse it got. And then, obviously, it made him a target on the field. He's not someone who can hide. And, you know, there's people who look like him. There's a guy in Atlanta who got into a fight at a club that people thought it was Odell because it looked <laughs> like him. There's a guy who does Odell impersonations in Nashville named Nodell Beckham. <laughs> um, you know, they he he's such a distinguishable character that you can't hide, really, you know? And everyone wants a piece of that. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons why he went to L.A. a lot because he could have space there. Mm-hmm. I think that... You know, New York, is, you know, as we all know, you know, and I know from when we lived there, I mean, it's hard to find space. And if you're yeah. famous, you shut down a block. Right. Whereas, like, if you're in L.A. and you're famous, they catch you when you're going in and out of a restaurant. But maybe right. you're still driving just like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the day, though, with this, Beckham will have his money. And now there's a piece of paper that he can point to that says, this is what my value is. And I told you so. Uh, so, but do you feel that he sort of reached the mountaintop for him with this contract, or is he motivated to prove everyone that he's right, like one catch at a time? I don't know. You know, he definitely seems to be both, but you know, time will tell. It's it, contracts are always weird. It's always hard to know how they affect people, and um. I wish I had a great answer for that. I think the Giants probably wish they had a great answer. Yeah. I mean, I had somebody who knows the Giants very well, and they were like, just because they signed him with this deal doesn't mean they trust him necessarily. That's a good point. And I think that's one of the reasons why, while it made headlines, when you look at the deal relative to the type of potential that he has, that's why a lot of people around the league think it was more it was more of a bargain than they thought it would be. Hmm. Now, going back to what he could do in L.A. and sort of the fact that he's – he's aware of what life is like in 2018 and how he's very well established himself now as a brand as you, know, you hear that term all the time. And, but does he have the network to thrive in other worlds? Like, or is it like, you know, to be like a build an empire, like a mini LeBron James type empire, like in establish himself. 
should he want to do that? Or is it the kind of thing where he hasn't built it up enough that where if the viral clips are gone, then it's like, you know, so are the attention Like you're just another receiver in the NFL. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he wants to build an empire. I mean, I think that he has the, you know, the picture, the silhouettes of him making that catch are similar to like the air Jordan. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. a very, it was a, it was an iconic moment that became iconic quickly. Mm -hmm. And so he has that, he has a catchy nickname. I mean, obviously he's a very good looking guy and he has ways of, of being a presence outside of football that is rare. Um, but again, you know, will he be known for just that one play? How much can you build off of that? Or will he be, you know, will he be David Tyree? Mm-hmm. Kind of. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to be that. It's rude to make that analogy. Of but course. at the end of the day, it's like going to be remembered for a couple plays. And that might be one of them. Yeah. Or is he going to be someone who they say, hey, Rice, Moss, OBJ, mm-hmm. in the pantheon of great receivers? I don't know. Right. But um, as far as the Giants and your experience with them, how much slack will they give him with this deal? I mean, I know they, they, they're they tied to him now, obviously, but how much, like, what kind of a leash is he on, so to speak, with his behavior? and Or is it like they've sort of let him loose now by giving him this deal? Yeah, they've let him loose. That's the thing. It's like, you know, again, it's what habits get amplified, and we don't know. Um, you know, it's a lot harder for them to move on from him if they want to now. Um but they can do it after two years and paying him forty some million. Yeah, um, they can do it if they want to. And but we'll just see. And you know, again, his drops have gone up. Mm-hmm. You know, he was leading the NFL in drops last year when he got hurt. And I don't know if you know when you're dropping that many passes, it's, it's a concentration issue. So the question is, why is he dropping these passes? And does a contract solve that? I don't know. And it is interesting that you point out with a couple of years, because it almost seems like that they've, the Giants, much to probably the chagrin of many Giant fans, but they've uh, almost put a system in place that, hey, listen, if this isn't working out, we're just going to kind of clean house and we're going to have to get a new quarterback probably anyway, and we'll just spend our money elsewhere. And it's amazing how in the NFL that today, that the way the cap works, you can kind of do that. But I wonder if that's something that, the Beckham camp is even or aware of that they, I mean, or is it more they're looking like, no, I'm going to get every nickel of this money. I mean, I, I'd hope for their sake, their eyes are open to it. I think that they are, they must know. And yeah, I mean, look, they've decided to build around Eli for another year mm-hmm. and then we'll see. And if Odell doesn't pan out, I mean, it, of course they try to move on from him. Cause again, it's a lot of money for someone who doesn't touch the ball a ton. I mean, you can get Saquon Barkley the number of touches that Odell might get in a game in two drives, or even one drive if it's going well. Right. For, and For one-tenth the price. Exactly. And so, again, just because he got this deal, doesn't it doesn't answer a lot of questions, and instead it just sort of adds intrigue to them, I think. So in the end, through all this, what you were able to experience, did you feel that you ever actually found out who Odell Beckham Jr. really is? I think that there's so much mythology with him that what I wanted to do was honor the mythology, but also base the story in reality as best I could. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, there was this moment, it wasn't in the story, but there was this moment um, when I was at his high school and his coach was taking me around Isidore Newman school in New Orleans. Peyton and Eli went there. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, the coach is taking me around, and, another, and they have a very small locker room. It's a very small school, but in the locker room, there's a wall of all of the players who have played there who played college football. There's a picture of them. And the picture of Odell is not of him making that spectacular catch. It's of him practicing in high school. And the coach put it there because he thought Odell was the biggest grinder he'd ever met. And he was a teammate of Peyton Manning's. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's seen some grinders. Yeah, guys who live and breathe it. Exactly. And he thought Odell was, in terms of the guys that he coached, he was by far the biggest grinder. And that's why that picture was there. And so, you know, when I'm writing about Odell, it's hard to, you can go a lot of different ways, let's face mm-hmm. it. You know, but I think what I want to do is try to find the small moments that were more revealing than people realized. And I think that kind of is one of them. Do you think, is the way he sort of expressed himself that you were able to witness, do you think he really knows who he is? Or is he comfortable with who he is? I think he's comfortable. I think the uncomfortable part becomes, you know, who everybody else thinks he is and who he needs to be and that, you know, people want a little bit of magic from him and there's only so much magic to go around. Yeah, and there's the balance and Mm -hmm. there's, am I going to be what you need me to be? And in what situation? Well, Seth... Thank you so much for your time for this one. This was a great story. I encourage everyone to read this cover story of ESPN, the magazine, Odell Beckham Jr. And now for his next act. Once again, thank you, Seth Wickersham. Thanks, bud. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories podcasts.